because I was bullied all the time, uh, being different, being speaking a different language and so on. So I'm Australia is a sex, it's the most beautiful country, right? Um, so this is this paradox. I'm, I'm in the most beautiful country in the world. I'm getting bashed every second day. So I had to fight through that. And um, uh, again, a minority in, the, in, in there. But I think it made me stronger. I think that's, that's what made me who I am, partly. You know? Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach, and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired, and please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am so delighted to welcome Vitali Gaiman to the My Fourth Act podcast. Vitali is a seeker and an explorer. Born in the Ukraine, Vitali has spent large portions of his life in Australia, the United States, and currently resides on a small island in Croatia. He has funded and managed several of his own startups in online retailing and online education. He currently supports CEOs in running healthier and more successful businesses through his work as the executive vice president for Quantum Leaders. Vitali's work is informed by his studies as an actor and his deep spiritual explorations. I'm itching to find out what's next for someone like you, Vitali, who has just spent two and a half years living on an enchanted island in the Dalmatian Sea. Welcome, Vitali. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful introduction. That is so professional. <laughs> uh, I do my best. Now, I, you and I have spoken before, and, and one of the things that always, I think, struck both of us that there are, we come from different worlds, but there are interesting overlaps in our journeys, and I've already hinted at some of those. Before we jump in, I love to ask this question of every guest. When you were a young boy growing up or young boy or teenager, take us to any age you want to. You know, and usually mom and dad, us who we want to be when we grow up, right? What were you thinking? I wrote a science fiction story, even though um, when I came to Australia, I didn't speak English, but I wrote it. Yeah, and, and in that story, I was the hero. I loved Isaac Asimov. I don't know. Do you remember Isaac Asimov? The, the, yeah. yeah, Asimov, Asimov. I don't and of course, I guess I was reading it as a kid. And in that story, I was the captain of. It wasn't a spaceship. It was a, an asteroid that was past the Earth. And because we couldn't create a spaceship that would travel for hundreds of years, we made this asteroid into a traveling space space vehicle. And I was the captain who was chosen to put you know, a few hundred humanoids onto this asteroid to leave because the Earth was getting was, was being destroyed by nuclear or whatever catastrophe. And this was the last 200 people. Hopefully the 200 people are like a message in a bottle that will go out in space. And, and I was the guy who was leading that expedition. How would you describe that? <laughs> well, what I'm thinking about is, did you love the idea of being that guy? Did you love the idea of being the hero who 
brings people to safety or to a better place? Not so much safety. It was about saving the human species. It was even more responsibility than safety. Because, as I said, the Earth was pretty much already in the last phases of destruction. And this is the guy who was going to save humanity by, well, hopefully save humanity. Now, now uh, did I love it? I remember actually writing what this guy, when, when he was chosen, he had chills going down his spine. It is such an enormous responsibility. So I guess it was both. It was excitement that chosen, but also damn fear of being chosen to be one of those. I would say that makes complete sense. Now, I'm really curious because I see you as this global citizen, Ukraine, Australia, United States, recently yeah. Croatia. And to an outsider, that can sound very sexy. Well, how cool is that? I wish I had that kind of life. How did you end up in Australia? How did I get you to say, what took you to these places? Yeah, sexy, and it is sexy. I mean, listen, I, I am blessed, you know. Also, when I was younger, I read this book called The Fortunate Life, mm -hmm. right? An Australian, it was one of our books and we studied. And this guy who was born in the, in the 60s said, how fortunate are we living in these peaceful times and we can travel all these countries because our predecessors did not have that opportunity, right? Um, my Most of my family disappeared in the Second World War, you know, in Auschwitz and so on. I have some Jewish background. So, yes, it's sexy. And I also feel incredibly privileged that we can live this kind of life. So, and there was also some difficulties because, as I said, so I was born in Ukraine, sixth generation of Russian Jewish background, you, you know, um, Ukrainian, Russian Jewish, Polish. It's, I was a mix. I mean, I on my grandmother's side, Polish. Russian, Jewish, Ukrainian, I was all make, there was one, because of the Jewish background, I didn't know what Jewish was until I, I got a, punched in the face a few times, but but it did put a, I was a minority in, in a country where, you know, Jews are not particularly liked, and I didn't even know what it was, that's the thing, because I'm not religious, I'm a secular, you know, we were sec, brought up secular, no religion, but there was this, so we left Russia partly because of that, because, you know, um, as you know, what happened, there's a lot of anti-Semitism, particularly in Ukraine. Also, of the wars, most of my uh, grandparents' side and so on all died in the, in the Second World War, partly in Auschwitz and so on. So we left. It wasn't because of a good life or just or looking so much for a good life, mm -hmm. because it was, it was our home, but because we, we just had enough of being minority. And so I was extremely sensitive to minorities. When I came to Australia, we immigrated to Australia because um, that's, that's the only country that would take us. I got also ostracized uh, because now I'm, I'm foreign. I could not speak a word of English. So again, I, had, I literally had to take martial arts to defend myself at school because I was bullied all the time. Uh, being different, being speaking a different language and so on. So, I mean, Australia is a sex, it's the most beautiful country, right? Um, so this is this paradox. I'm, I'm in the most beautiful country in the world. I'm getting bashed every second day. So I had to fight through that. And um, again, a minority in there. But I think it made me stronger. I think that's, that's what made me who I am partly. You know? As you are talking, my experience, of course, is very different. But one was... I'm thinking about how our, our youth shapes us. You know, I, I'm the son of a foreign diplomat. We lived in foreign countries. So I was always a foreigner, uh, always uh -huh. different from other people. 
our life was privileged, but uh, we were never part of the mainstream in those countries. You could tell we weren't from there. And uh, that creates all sorts of social dynamics. As mm -hmm. There's so many doors I could walk through as we're speaking for the purpose of our conversation. And especially in light of the work you're doing these days, I'm curious, you started a bunch of businesses. So you have an entrepreneurial side. Some of them were online uh, when that, I think then when that was still a, a relatively new thing, right? And what I'm most interested about, we, we can talk about entrepreneurship and there's a very cool part about it and it can also be really challenging. So if you had to give our listeners a sense of like, what are one or two moments that you remember where you went, this was really cool. This is why I loved having my own business. Yeah. What comes to mind? I'll definitely get to that point. But I wanted to say I started actually in a corporate world. I graduated as an electronics and telecommunication engineer and I started for Telecom Australia, the biggest company. So I spent 10 years in telecommunication as, as an engineer, yeah. building the internet network. I actually literally built the fiber optic networks and so on for the internet and commercialized the internet, not just internet, but internet was one of my projects. So it was very sexy. Like, and, and I was at the top of my game and I, and I, I was the space cadet. <laughs> I felt like uh, I'm at the top of the tech of the biggest company and so on. Yeah. And at the, at the top of my career, I left. Because wow. I realized, well, um, it was unsustainable. And McKinsey Partners, I love them, but it was getting McKinsey. It became private times. It, it, it turned, the culture turned from a very friendly, open, let's help each other to very competitive dog-eat-dog -dog culture. And I was a very gentle kind of like, you know, I didn't know how to elbow each other to the top. I felt like a foreigner. Again, I'm like a foreigner in a different country, but now in a corporation. And my boss, I remember, said once, listen, you either fight, you know, and show your teeth or get or, 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 or get the hell out of it. You know, this world is not for the weak ones. And th this is how it started. And I said, what do you mean the weak ones? I mean, you don't have to be like that to be excellent. You, This is a behavior that I don't even understand. What kind of values are you aspiring to? And so I was so lost. But I was also felt really guilty because I thought I was somehow inadequate. I'm like, I'm not a man. You know what I mean? If I can't do demonstrate that kind of macho culture, I'm not a man. So I actually had, um, before I got to the businesses, I had a chronic fatigue. I was in bed for two years after that. It was such a shock to me that I, I was really thought I'm going to be the top senior corporate manager, right? And I was. I was getting groomed for that. They paid for my MBA and I was a smart kid. But I completely fell apart and started it like an AA group for the other executives who went through the same experience. Yeah. And then I was taught, I taught at university for a while as a professor, by the way. So I had, this is all my fourth life because I know this, there are many than four. I think there's more than 10. So engineer and manager, uh, professor of marketing and management, consultant. It is then after, after I, I left Australia because I was felt maybe I can start my own businesses. Maybe I can show them how it's done by running my own business, right? And then I left to US and started, um, I met my wife in US, you know, so we got married. It was a gift, complete gift. And we started a publishing business because we got so excited about watching a movie called What the Bleep, 
I don't yeah. know if you ever seen it. Do you remember what the bleep and Dr. I remember, I remember that, of course. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Emoto, do you remember Dr. Emoto who was writing words on water? And now I didn't believe the scientific, you know, that, that words can shift crystalline structures in the water. But my wife said, listen, I don't care if it doesn't, if it's great information. Let's create our own little. So she started writing on water bottles, like love and, you know, health, you know, I love you. And uh, with and she started writing on her own water bottles, and then we had the idea: what if we create like stickers, water blessing stickers, and as a little business? And we pulled in another graphic designer for of ours. We started it. Uh, Sixteen years later, we sold a million of those stickers, and then I literally built the business from ground up in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and UK. You know, so that okay. Now back to your question. I haven't forgotten. The higher moment is when I was sitting in the hot tub with this guy, with a bunch of guys, and they were drinking their bottle and they had my stickers on it. And I, uh-huh. I was in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in California. And I said, oh, my God, I love this. You know, he goes, like, everywhere I go, I can have a little affirmation. I can put them on windows. I can put them on mirrors. We need positive words. We need positive affirmations in this world because there's so much negativity. And I said, yeah, I'm, I, we make those. And they said, you're kidding me, right? And uh, and so yeah, and there is one million of those went out into the world, you know. <laughs> so and I said, oh my god, I you know, I mean, this is it. Like I thought, that's it. I've achieved my goal, you know. And again, as somebody who also sold a business, I'm curious. So you have this business, you see what an impact you actually have on people. But why did you sell it? I didn't sell it. It's still running. I was complete, you know, and I mean, 17 years and I built the whole infrastructure, built the distributors and so on. Uh, it's still being sold. And I thought my personal contribution now is somewhere else. Uh, and, um, and it was hard to let go because like my baby. And I also didn't want to sell it. I wanted to give it, I wanted to give a gift there to, to this person because she put a lot of work into it. And so she's running that now, and she took on uh, yeah, literally just last year. You used this wonderful pray, uh, phrase. You said, I, I was complete. And yeah. we just poke around with that a little bit because yeah. I think many of our listeners may have moments that lies ago. This part of my journey is done. It was great. I, I achieved things. Yet moving on is not easy for everybody. Right. How and you describe beautifully the process of gifting it to somebody else. And anything else about that experience of giving it to somebody else and saying there are other things that I want to explore? Yeah, well, first of all, it's it's a kind of um spiral, it's a zigzagging back and forth. Like it's never like you just want I was ready to move on because I saw how the business was now kind of running me a little bit rather than yeah. me being inspired by the business. And so at that stage, I said, okay, I think that's a sign and I, and I want to listen. I mean, know how we are, right? I mean, all of us go through that unless we are saints and we are fully attuned to our inner guidance. Um, but, you know, even though I've done a lot of personal development, I'm still, I'm still a donkey when it comes to like, no, you know, i got to work hard. This is my business. I'm not going to leave it. But it was at some stage, I literally, I wasn't getting any more joy out of uh, out of doing it i love the people you know because i build phenomenal relationship but the business itself there was no more creativity yeah. and i'm a creator we're acting 
creativity. I create businesses or whatever. I create vacations. Uh, once I cannot create anymore, life force gets feels like disappears out of it, right? So let's talk about acting. We both have studied acting. What drew you to acting? And what did you discover in the process of studying acting? Oh, my God. We would need a 12-hour series on that one, right? (laughs) Let's give it a whirl. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. In my science fiction story, there was an entity called multi-identity. MI. And then the multi-identities was a cloud. It's a, a very ethereal. It was just an energy ball. Yeah. It didn't have any shape or sound or smell or anything. But if it, if it finds something that it likes, like another entity or a humor, or it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, an, an animal or even a mountain, it would shape itself into that image and start speaking its language and learn about it and so on, right? Um, I, I never even knew the word acting in those days, but but it became. But later on, I realized I'm, this is what I love to do. I love to shape shift into other people's yeah. entity to feel them from the inside to to explore how it how it feels to be one of them. Particularly if I like them, right? If I don't like them, I'm going to remain a cloud, anonymous cloud. <laughs> but the, the minute I love somebody, I want to be kind of like feeling him from inside out. Of course, when you study Stanislavski, any of those methods, that's what it's all about. It's like you become it, you embody it. You're not an actor, right? There's no such thing as an actor. You become that person and you feel him from who they are. And that, and so what I realized my, I am, who I am, if there is such a thing, is I'm kind of like a life connoisseur, right? I love tasting other people's beingness, right? And that's what an actor is for me. They, they like taste, like, oh, I want to be one of those. I want to be well, one of those. It's a, it's a wonderful <laughs> description because we do slip inside of other people's skin. And a lot yeah. of it is it's really who we are in our present or past lives merges with our idea of what that other person is, right? It, it's all one. There's no exactly. separateness. Now, because you, you've talked about being a creator and explorer, did you ever have the voice that says, oh, maybe I should go to Los Angeles or I should go to New York and I should have a professional acting career? Or was this more like a personal exploration for you? Uh, it was both um, a personal exploration, but also I enrolled into an acting course at 30, 33 years of age and with all our 18 roles. And to my surprise, I actually got in because they said we only take 5% mature adults, you know, because, you know, you know, we're like kids because they still have 20 years to go and. And so I got in because of, uh, I did have talent. My, t- my acting teacher always used to say, you're phenomenally talented, but you're a little old for an actor. That's after my MBA and everything, right? So, uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, my resume went engineer, MBA, amateur actor, beginning of his. Of his. So I, I got in there um, and I did finish two years, a uh, year and a half, and then I quit. Partly because... In Australia, the acting, uh, it's not like Hollywood. I mean, there was very few positions. They already told us in year one, you're going to be waiting tables for the next five, six years. Are you okay with that? So there is no career. There was very few career paths for actors in Australia. And my MBA said, listen, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to be unemployed for the next seven years. 
you know, doing coffees. Uh, so that didn't work out. But I realized I could take acting. And what I did do is I, I literally left very soon afterwards to the U.S. and started a, a TV show, a cable TV show. on. It's called uh, Business with Spirit. And so I thought that I'm going to use acting, but I'm going to use it in my way. And uh, it was a small university and I had a cable company. And so I started that and I ran it for about six months. But then it was a really, it was, I did it, I bootstrapped the whole thing. It was um, live. It wasn't even recorded. They didn't have, they they didn't have recorded spots for me. So I went live, improvisational. And that was like me sitting with other people and coaching live businesses. So, you know, the, the kind of hosting, but instead of hosting, I was actually doing live coaching on, on TV, like Dr. Phil kind of stuff. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. That's a high-risk kind of thing to do. Bravo for you. Now, as I'm listening to your story, and again, I hear your very strong desire to explore, to learn new things, to not get stuck. What really interests me, you're, you, you've been part of, it's called Quantum Leaders, but there's a, there's a fellow named Norman Wolf uh, right. who yeah. has an approach to leadership called the living organization. He has a yeah. methodology and uh, in, in which he thinks and works about leadership. And you, as somebody who was a creator, you really joined somebody else's entity. Yes. What, what happened with you or inside of you where you went, oh, I want to work with these people and I want to be a part of their work? Because for some yeah. people that could seem confining. So would you explain that? Yes, and, and you're absolutely correct. You know, there is part of me and my, my ego says, I am the creator. I am the guy mm-hmm. who is supposed to create. I, look at me. And, and, you know, uh, and so there is, there was an ego. And then I kind of realized that, I mean, it's not about me. It's about my my purpose. It's about what I'm here on this planet to do. And if I can learn from somebody, I need to work with them for a while. And this is and, and if I can help somebody else shine. So, in other words, a great leader is a great follower. Yeah. That's what I believe. You know, it, we a lot of leaders think they have you have to be this the, the one, the one, the creator, the charismatic one. And I realized, you know. I purposely put myself into a situation where I'm going to follow someone for a while until I find how to merge and and my and find my own back self. And it's kind of like what an apprenticeship. I mean, if you think about back, you know, the Da Vinci era or whatever. It's a very European thing, actually, isn't it, to be an apprentice, right? Yeah, it's to be like, I mean, all, all great artists had were apprentices at some stage, right? And it doesn't matter what age, you can be an apprentice at 40 or 50 or 60, you know. Um, and so I did two apprenticeships, actually. One is with Quantum Leader. And before that, I had another little career. Uh, I became a fine art photographer. Actually, if you type in Vitaly Giman, right on Google, you won't find, you'll find all my artwork all over the place. So 
there was another, and I, been a, I met a beautiful man who was one of the top photographers in the U.S., David Winston. You might be listening to this. And we, we literally, he literally became my mentor for five years or six years. We went out. And so this bit, now this other transformation of business, my business transformation became when I met Norman and I read his book, The Living Organization. And, um, and I said, you know what? He has this amazing mix of spirituality. He's an ordained minister, uh, a senior executive, a HP executive. A beautiful man, and not even that, he has deconstructed what I've been trying and created a language for something I've been trying to communicate uh, to to executives for many years. So I thought, and and I thought if I can join him and commercialize him because he what he he was open to me. He said I'm the best kept secret; nobody even knows about me. I said, okay, well, let's go for a journey. And I thought it was going to be easy. Like, oh, my God, he's the best kept secret. We'll just do this, like, over the year. Well, it's been five years, and it hasn't been easy, but the learning is phenomenal. I mean, it was well worth it. Since I know the, the world of leadership development and organization consulting pretty well, if I'm yeah. going to make a, a blanket statement is I would say 80% of the offers and what people do all look very similar and my sense is that the living organization is different which is what drew you to it you already mentioned the spiritual core but if you had to and i think we have a lot of listeners who have worked in the corporate world you know who want to go like what's different about the living organization how, how would you explain that it's kind of i would explain it by circling all the way back to my own career i'll, I'll make it personal rather than mm -hmm. you know the usual pitches that people do when I had when I had this experience in, in, with my boss, who said literally, like you know, either become one of us or ship out of here, I said, I said, this can't be true. A true leader is not like that, you know, because he was saying you basically shut down your emotions, leave your emotions at the door, become a wolf, and become this predator, and just focus on creating money and wealth for the company and investors. And anyone who gets in your way, you can you can do whatever you like. I mean, it's, it's like um, I said, that's not the that's not the nature. This is not my morals. It's not the ethics, and it shouldn't even be allowed in the corporations. That's why we're in trouble because we created this kind of a doggy dog world in corporate soulless world, you know. And so, um, what literally I tried to do even before Norman and I, I, I had a whole uh, conference called Spirituality, Leadership and Management. We started a conference in Australia over uh, like 1,500 people at a time were in those conference. Managers, psychics, uh, you know, whoever. What I relieved that we need to do, first I thought we'll bring the soul back into organization, but then I realized we don't have to bring it back. It's already there. We just don't have to squash the soul of the human spirit. What living organization for me is about, and this, and this is what Norman's word, but it's also very much now, is about preserving the dignity of the human spirit in, in the workplace, preserving it and unleashing the energy, the full potential of the, of, the, of the living being that it is. So that's number one, kind of the spiritual side of things. But it's more than that, because if you only listen to those words, you because I used to speak like that, and then they put me into the soft basket of the human human resource, organizational development, even executive coach, right? I was, yes, I'm an executive coach, 
but I'm also a hardcore executive. I'm almost a business operational guy. I, you know, worked with Amazon. I worked with uh, companies. You know, I sold stuff and created products and services. So what I realized is it's kind of a very tricky mix um, of hard and soft, right? To create a great organization, yes, you need to have heart. You need to have love, right? And that's what all organizations are originally. It starts from somebody else's care and love for product and service. But you also need to have the hard stuff. You do, you do need to have systems. You do need to have right business models. You do need to have really smart digital use of technology because today if you don't have it, right? So I realize you have to integrate the hard and soft, which is the business management of the savvy business management tools, you know, um, what we have today with the people development, organizational development that have to be integrated. They can't, right now we've separated the two into almost like two camps. We have the OD, the HR, the executive coaches, and then we have the McKinsey's business managers just look at the hard model and, and the two don't even talk to each other, right? And they just speak different languages. What we've done with living organizations merge the two. We will literally do the hardcore stuff while developing this and preserving the soul of the people. That was uh, very clear to me. And uh, uh, there are so many questions I have. You thought we were going to talk for 12 hours about acting. This is where I have lots of questions. Okay. However, uh, time is limited in our podcast. Um, You too were impacted by the pandemic, work happening, work changing, people working differently. You, however, unlike some other people, uh, your your wife is from Croatia. Mm-hmm. You ended up and you've been for two and a half years on a relatively small island um, off of Croatia. I've seen some photos and it's just gorgeous. Yeah. So I... Would you give our listeners a sense of what it was like to move from Oregon, where you were living, and suddenly live yeah. on um, a, this beautiful cocoon and little bit of piece of heaven? This is what, I, how, what I'm projecting onto it. But give us a snapshot of what that was like. It was like falling in love. <laughs> how? It was like being one of those voyages captains and they, and they went on, on a journey and then landed on, on, on some kind of a different planet, uh, whereas it's beautiful, serene oceans. I, I swim every day, right? Uh, even now it's November and, and I'm still swimming. It, it's the water, the water is calming. You know, it's, it, there is no big, uh, in Australia, I'm used to big, big, big ocean, but it's different. It's vast and it's also a little bit scary undertones. Here it's like you're swimming in a, you know, luxury, saltwater pool right? and um, the sunshine is gentle it's almost like the whole environment is made for, for conducive for human health you know and i know there's a lot of people for centuries came around croatia and italy to 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 heal themselves right and there is even mud there is special muds medicinal muds and so on and it's just the food and everything and the atmosphere and the venetian architecture you know, it's it's all like the vibration. I, don't, I believe in vibration is I about yeah. yeah. It's just like it's a soul. It's a it's a very soulful place. So, being a workaholic, because you know I, I am still recovering. Well, I'm hopefully I've recovered the workaholic. I still work hard, but then what that means is that I can wake up in the morning, 
and have a piece of heaven, plunge myself in a beautiful ocean, swim, then go and work for eight, hour, eight hours or whatever, and then come in the evening, sit in a, in a cafe and watch the beautiful ocean go for a stroll. It's a work-life balance that I know a lot of people are looking for. And, and, and it's challenging. But I mean, that's the beautiful part. But, you know, there is no businesses within like, you know, 200 kilometers, right? <laughs> so, so that means as a particular as a coach or as, as a, a consultant and a, and a business transformation guy, I have to work double hard in my market, digital marketing and so on and uh, to reach people's, I don't know how I can explain. It's easy when, when you're already there and you can go for a cup of coffee and you, and you have a network. Yeah. This means I have to literally like pull somehow reach out somewhere in, through Zoom and get attention of this busy executive and develop a relationship yeah. and get a job sitting on the island, right? So not in it, and it and I, I'll be honest with you, it's, uh, the starter was difficult, you know. And I I've been doing like at least ten conversations a week. I build a whole marketing LinkedIn marketing system around that, and so I've done over twelve hundred conversations over the last five years with executives, and that and to get to where I am now, yeah. So not for everybody, I can tell you that. <laughs> what I wonder about, you know, and I live in a pretty relaxed uh, Florida beach town, which is my, my analogy for your lifestyle. And especially after two and a half years of this, and you talk about vibrations and energy. Um, yeah. There's one possibility that could happen is that the drive to be of service just goes away and you go, let me just be a fisherman here. Why do I want to help organizations? <laughs> or like, because we, we live, we energetically change, right? And yes. How are your vibrational changes impacting your desire to work, your desire yeah. to travel, your desire to do some of the stuff that you've done for several decades before? It's actually went exactly the opposite. Like I thought that's going to happen. I'm going to become a beach bum, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. And then and I go to the beach, I swim, and then I go, I can't wait to go and meet somebody. I, I can't. I've got all this energy. I'm, I am, my mind is like been, I don't know, cleaned. And now I'm in different vibration. And when I'm in front of people, they can sense it, right? Yes. And and they go, what the hell is this guy on, right? <laughs> like, And then I show them where I am and they go, oh, Jesus, don't make me jealous, right? Yeah. And I go, you don't have to be. No, actually, that's what I say. I say, I, I want you to be jealous. Yeah. Uh, because I want you to start realizing as an executive that you that you Actually, you're not good to anybody when you are stressed out and out of balance and so on. You're unproductive, you know. Um, so maybe come over here and we'll go to the beach and we'll hang out and we'll do more work than ever. I understand we all can't be living on the island. I, I get that. But once in a while, we need to have that break, you know. So, so I actually think having that balance makes me much more sharper, much more, much more energetic, much more vital, right? <laughs> It's a wonderful segue to me looking ahead to the future, because one possibility could be is I was living in Oregon, you know, I have my community there, I'm here, but you know, the, the immediate COVID emergency is over. Maybe it's time for my wife and me to move back to Oregon, to the life we had. So what's your thinking about future <laughs> lifestyle choices, destination? Like what's Vitaly thinking? 
No, no, almost as you said it, I had chills. I was fine. I go, no, I'm not coming back. By the way, I, you know, when I say I am, okay, yeah, I am the great resignation. Yeah, I am the millions of people who have finally found a, a different life balance, family, and so on. I am uh, a new generation yeah. of workers. And if you're a leader and you're listening to them, I'm saying, listen, I. I'm literally experiencing what, why? Because I'm sitting on the beach one day and I'm speaking to all these young people and I said, I'm not coming back. I go, what do you mean you're not coming back? He said, I'll come back, but, but under my conditions, right? Because I've discovered something very precious. I've discovered how to be in harmony with nature. I've discovered how to be in harmony with my family. I've changed my values. It's not going to work. I'm not coming back. Like I, mean, I don't know if you get that, right? <laughs> like I, to the I, manager. I, <laughs> I appreciate the clarity, Vitaly. It's fantastic. <laughs> right. So let's become a little more granular. Yeah. Somebody might go, yeah, easy for him. His wife is from Croatia. He has a connection to the country. Easy for him yeah. to live on this beautiful island. Um, yeah. But if you look to the future and you make choices, if I go to this very basic question, what are some things that you would like to do more of? And yeah. what are some things that you might want to do less of as you look at the future? I'm going to be here. This is my lifestyle. You know, it might be a little bit less or more. Uh, I'm sure I'll come back to, you know, do civilization. Uh, <laughs> but I can tell you that it's going to be a very different. I would like to shift. I would like them to come to me rather than me coming to them. Okay, I've done enough corporate work. I've been in enough big cities, and, and I love big cities, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I love, you know, San Francisco. I love New York. I love, you know, Melbourne, where I was spent 20 years. No problem at all. And it's not about me being on this island. You can be in the middle of New York and, and still have those wonderful experiences in the park or whatever, or in nature. It's about reconnecting with nature. I think that we need to shift the balance back to where it's always been for humans. We lived in families, right? Well, family were a fundamental construct for us to to. It's our, it's our health, it's our well-being, our mental mental well-being. So, I, my future, um, I would like to do much more of bringing people into this environment for a while. And it doesn't matter. Obviously, they don't need to live on Croatian island, but they need to mentally de um, detox from from the what has been a very toxic way of being. Uh, in whatever way they can, whether they go to the park or whatever, or they can do some exercise. So it's not about necessarily being on the island, but it, but we need to come back to to this balance. And I think we will be a much more productive team. Like you know, we'll be much productive leaders. We're much more productive organizations if we regain that balance. So I'm going to do workshop in the future. I plan to do workshops here and other beautiful places around the world, yeah, right? <laughs> and see if we can actually, because the best thing is when you actually taste it, right? And we can talk about it all day long. But when you are in that place, absolutely, it's like in your body and you go, oh, my God, this is what I've been missing, you know? So I would like to um, actually have executive retreats in Croatia and other beautiful places around the world because I think it is conducive for the spirit. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing, which is so beautiful to me, is your, um, I hear a commitment, desire to continue to serve executives in a similar way, but realizing there's something that has shifted for me here. And I think for them to experience it will help them shift themselves and the businesses that they lead, right? And, 
and Absolutely. it only happens by experiencing it. You can you can only watch so many videos or read so many books, right? You got to feel exactly. it. Yeah, yeah you got to be in this. Uh, and, and and I've tried all those. I had some executives come from Germany, and and this guy, he minute he walked in of the airplane, and he came in and he looked at this place and he said, "Oh my god!" And we had we we had really productive. Uh, four or five hours of business talks and so on, right? And then we went for a swim and we hopped around some islands, you know, went for a hike and we still talked business while we were hiking. You see, it's it's not one or the other. Right? And we produce a really very, you know, a business plan. And he walked out and he said, when am I coming back, right? I go, when am I bringing my team back, right? So, yeah, it can happen. It's both. If you had a chance, you know, as we wrap up the conversation to give, to share some wisdom or guidance based on what you've learned in life to somebody else who might go is, uh, I listened to Vitali. He sounds like a risk taker and an adventurer. He's made some bold changes at different stages of life. But I don't know if I can make those bold changes. I'd like to live on an island too, but what kind of wisdom would you have for somebody who has the inkling that they want to try something different, but mm. are maybe holding themselves back? Oh, well, first of all, it's okay not to beat yourself up about it. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't consider myself. I mean, yes, I could be an adventurer and risk there, but but you know, there are people. You know, there's. I'm always comparing myself to others. Elon Musk, or whatever. I think it takes a little bit more risk than, than I am. So, so there, we all have a different degree of risk averseness, right? And it's okay for wherever you are. I think it's more about baby steps. You know, I've learned this thing about let's not try to go. A little bit at a time. I mean, so you, okay, maybe you have kids. I mean, for example, I don't have kids, so it was, it was easier for me to take some risk because I don't have to take care of the family. So when I coach, I actually coach, it'll exactly say, yeah, I'd love to do that, but I can't do that. I go, that's okay. Take one, take the step that you can. Okay. I mean, maybe reduce your work hours instead of working 70 hours to 60. I mean, that's right. <laughs> whatever it is for you, right? Or maybe just once in a while, take your wife out or your partner, whatever, and just enjoy life. Just spend a little bit more, taste the life a little bit. Remember, work is, you know, or bring that back into work. Most importantly, integrate. I'm a big believer that it's not about, I mean, yes, you start off by doing things outside work. But if that's all it is, no, that's not good. You got to come back and make the workplace that joyful place, right? So that's um, one of the big things I work with executives is how to unload themselves and let the people under them lead more because they're workaholics and they think they're responsible for everything. And it's, it's not a good thing when you're super busy as an executive. That means you haven't done good enough job preparing your team to take over your responsibilities, right? So do that if you can and, and unload yourself so that you can be more strategic, more creative, right? That's already a good step. Wonderful wisdom. Thank you. Now, if, if folks want to learn more about you personally or the work you do with quantum leaders, you know, living organization, where would you like them to go to find out more? Uh, on a Croatian island. No. <laughs> we'll post Vitaly's phone number in the show notes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> address is this and this no yes. no uh, they can go to quantumleaders.com quantumleaders.com yeah. uh, i can uh, message me through or vitali v-i-t-a-l-y like vital y in the end at quantumleaders.com is, is my you can just message i'm also all uh, on linkedin so you can vitali Gaiman 
if you put into LinkedIn, you connect with me. That's that'd be a wonderful because I put everything I um in my head. I literally post on LinkedIn, so you'll find all my stuff on LinkedIn. Thank you for. I mean, you're living your life, but when as you were talking about what living on an island energetically is doing for you, you're a role model for all of us. So thank you for that. I can't wait to visit you in Croatia. Yay, please <laughs> do. <laughs> Goodbye for now. Goodbye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.